Hi, hello. Um, so, uh, welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. Um, we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 2. I've just been looking through it. It's kind of long. It like starts here, goes here and here, and then all the way to the next page. Uh, it's, it's a hefty chapter. Uh, so, we will see how much we can cover today. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for everything that you're speaking to us in your word and even here in Jeremiah chapter 2 we pray that you will help us to understand this you know give us the kind of minds that will um, just take hold of your word and make sense of it you know by your spirit and also the kind of hearts that will respond to it uh, with fullness uh, with repentance and faith uh, we pray this in Jesus name Amen okay so this is Jeremiah and chapter 2 verse 1 the word of the Lord came to me it came to Jeremiah go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem I remember the devotion of your youth how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert through a land not sown uh, Israel was holy to the Lord the first fruits of his harvest all who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruits and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Um, those who de deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. So it's an accusation, you know, there's a lot of guilt <laughs> that uh, God bears on his people for forsaking him, for committing idolatry. But I guess what I find interesting about the beginning of this chapter especially is how God reminds them you know, of the love that they used to have, how good things used to be. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride, you know, you loved me. And I'm speaking to someone who maybe now says, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with God, you know, just turn their backs against Jesus and everything. And God saying to them, but there was that time, you, you really loved me and you knew of my goodness and my salvation. You know, walking through the desert, through a land not sown. But now in this land, where everything is good, you've forsaken me. And, and, and it makes me think, you know, that sometimes uh, the thing that turns us away from God, you know, it's not just uh, the difficult times when we were so dependent on Him and then we loved Him all the more. But actually now when God brings them into this fertile land, verse 7, to eat of its fruit and rich produce, now when things are good, 
that's almost like the trigger for us to go, hey, you know, maybe I can look for something else. Hey, maybe I don't need to depend on this God. And that seems to be the case here. You know, it's actually prosperity. It's almost God's blessing that causes them to value that blessing, that prosperity over God. Yeah, that, that seems to be um, the case here, I think. Verse 9, Therefore I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, like a law court, you know, brings charges. And I will bring charges against your children's children. <laughs> so multiple generations are guilty before God for this charge. And he says, verse 10, Cross over to the coasts of Kittim and look, send to Kedar and observe closely, See if there has been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. So he says, you know, leave your country, you know, get on a plane, go to the next country, you know, cross all these borders, you know, Kedar, Katim, and all these um, non-Christian nations and have a look at them because that's something about them that they're doing much better than you. <laughs> it's meant to convict you. He's saying, verse 11, has a nation ever changed its gods? You know, all these non-Christian people are more faithful to their non-Christian gods than you are. Um, he says, uh, verse 11, but my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. And I think that Maybe it's might be new. I wonder if you ever considered this. It might be new to you when you consider God's judgment upon his own people. It's not just his anger. We expect that. But his shock. You know, God is almost going, What what's what's going on? <laughs> Even the non Christians, you know, understand what it means to be loyal and faithful to their gods. But my people who have experienced all my goodness have become more unfaithful, <laughs> have used this blessing as a means and an excuse to turn their backs against me. So it's that, that shock and almost that sadness as well. So, my goodness. And he said, God says, heavens, look at this. You know, what's going on with them? And God almost sounds disappointed with his own people. Verse 13, my people, my people, have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So sin number one, you leave me. Sin number two, you replace me. <laughs> you leave me the source of fresh water, clean water. For these broken containers that is leaky, you know, it can't contain water, and so it doesn't sustain you. And again, it's that What's going on? But it's also surprising that this is called a sin. You know, you think sin, you break God's law. But here is sin breaking God's heart, turning away from God and creating an alternate God that you have made, but really doesn't nourish you, doesn't, doesn't give you that same relationship, that same blessing that you had with God initially. Uh, verse 14, is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? Lions have 
roar. They've growled at him. They've laid waste his land. His towns are burned and deserted. So I think at this point of time, you know, judgment has already fallen on the land. You know, all these lions, all these enemy nations have destroyed it. But I think the point is that they don't get it still. They don't get it. God is judging them through these nations. Verse 16, also the men of Memphis and Tapanis have shaved the crown of your head. <clears throat> have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And the fact that God says, don't you realize this means they, pro they probably haven't. They don't get it yet. But God says, why don't you get it? <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, why go to Egypt to drink water from the Shehor? And why go to Assyria to drink water from the river? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. And I think, I think this is a good place to end. And here is God saying that you are tempted to seek after these other gods. And he mentions you know, Egypt and Assyria to look for these new sources of water, new sources of fulfillment and protection and security and meaning after you've been judged. <laughs> meaning they don't turn to God. They don't remain with God when things are good. They don't remain with God after they've been judged, but, but rather they stray from God even more. It, it, it's just that deep unrepentance and stubbornness that just doesn't want to turn back to God. And God is still reasoning with them. He's saying, you know, why do this? Verse 18, why go to Egypt? Why go to Assyria? And he's warning them, verse 19, your wickedness will punish you and will rebuke you. He's warning them that you think things can get bad. It can and it will because your idolatry, your stubbornness is leading you further and further away from me. So here, of course, you know, it's, it's warning, it's judgment, but it's mainly an appeal. And out of sadness and shock at his own people's idolatry saying, you know, why do you keep going down this path? Why haven't you turned back? Uh, and, and I guess, I guess there's a kind of sadness to that, um, you know, well, if you know anyone like this, and by anyone, it's not just someone who's never known God before, but maybe precisely started out just having that fire and passion for God, but slipping further and further away from God, despite all the attempts that God has made to turn them back to Him, in blessing them, in chastising them, in disciplining them, but just causing them to go further and further away. Um, and uh, not, not meant to make you feel guilty, but it's meant to open our eyes as to just <laughs> how dark my heart is and your heart is when it comes to really repentance. And only God can turn our hearts back to him. Maybe, maybe if I just read a bit more, verse 20, long ago, you broke off your bonds and tore off your bonds and you said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree you lay down as a prostitute, I had planted you as a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? And so it ends again with this question, how did this happen? He says, long ago, you already decided I will not serve God. And the idea is that long ago when you were free, 
to serve God, you decided that you didn't want to do this. So there's a kind of root of bitterness and sin that didn't just happen now, but it was always there from the beginning. And God meant for you to be this choice vine, verse 21, that's meant to be, you could translate it as true vine, but then over time you grew into this corrupt vine that produces corrupt fruit, produces corrupt um, hearts. And I guess um, it's a good place to end because this mention of this vine, a choice vine or true vine is what Jesus uh, uses to picture his relationship with us. You know, in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, a woman remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. No, and he, oh, sorry, he says, I am the true vine in verse 1. I am the true vine. It's, it's the same kind of phrase that you have here in verse 21. You are the true vine. And here is Jesus not just saying, I've come to find the real thing, but he's saying, I am the real thing. Jesus is the one who remains true to God and faithful to God. And the way in which we turn back and have the same faithfulness is by being in Jesus, being in his faithfulness in relationship to him. That he then causes us to remain in him. The idea is not just that you start out, but you remain in him and he holds you in this relationship with God. I guess such that he doesn't let you go, such that you're constantly in him and you know of his goodness and you won't want to let go and turn to something else. And and that's good news, I think, because um, what Jeremiah does is establishes that our hearts don't, won't do this. On our own, we will turn away. But what Jesus does, he says, I have done this for you. And what you have to do is to remain in me, to stay true to me, and I will stay true to you. Um, yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus and his faithfulness, his trueness in his love towards you. Uh, and Lord, um, if anything, I need to repent. We need to repent of the times when we just turn our backs on all the goodness and love that you have shown to us already. And even now, you know, the temptations that we have to create false gods in your image. Lord, help us to remain in Jesus and in so doing, remain in your love. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 2, and also a bit of John 15. <laughs>